Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a safe place for leading with your heart. Hey, thanks for being here. You, Me, Empathy is the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective, a collaborative mental health community designed to empower each of us to grow our capacity for empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. You can support the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts, following us on social media at Yumi Empathy and Feely Human, and joining the Feely Human Collective community at feelyhuman.co. And now your host, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of You, Me, Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 201 on why music is feely with feely human and rocker Brett Newski. Brett and I talk about being bullied in high school, the tunnel vision of anxiety, embracing our small victories, and why music is feely, and so much more. I love this chat. Love Brett. He's a sweet dude. Really enjoyed this conversation. Before we get to it, though, just a couple of reminders. Please leave a rating and review for Yumi Empathy in Apple Podcasts. It does truly help out the show. I promise. Thank you for doing that. Let's get to 200 ratings. I know we can do it. Second item is uh, that on November 24th, I will be hosting a Boundaries and the Holidays chat over Zoom. A free chat. You don't have to pay anything. Just a, It's just a chat with other feely humans about holding and maintaining and what do boundaries look like right now for the holidays coming up. Uh, look out for more details about how to sign up for that, how to RSVP to that on uh, Instagram. And, and also the, uh, my newsletter. So make sure to su- subscribe to my list. Uh, go to feelyhuman.co, click on the community tab and click on newsletter, sign up there as well. But I'll also be sharing more about that on social media at feelyhuman on Instagram and at youmeempathy on Instagram. And the last thing is that right now in the Feely Human shop at feelyhuman.co slash shop. Uh, it's buy one, get one free. That means if you buy a pin, you can get a pin for free or a sticker for free. If you buy a t-shirt, you can get another t-shirt for free or anything under that amount. Um, now through the end of the year, it's the biggest sale that I've, that I've held for Feely Human. Feel weird about it, but you know, I'm trying to make a little bit money because I, I I have some big projects and some big ideas that I want to put that money into. And, you know, running a business is weird. And if you can support me, great. If not, that's cool too. Go to feelyhuman.co slash shop and check it out. I got stickers, pins, t-shirts, mugs, etc. Okay, let's get to the episode. This is episode 201 on why music is feely with... Brett Newski.
Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights and the darks we face as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. (laughs) The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. You, Me, Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm an anxious 80s kid here with an anxious 90s kid, songwriter, (laughs) illustrator, and author of the book, It's Hard to Be a Person. It's Brett Newski. Hello, Brett. What's up, Known? Thanks for hosting me. Yeah. So happy to have you. I've had maybe one other musician on the show. Um, I've listened to your music. It rocks. I'm into it. Happy to have you here. Yeah. I'm surprised you don't have more musicians. We're uh, we're all, uh, we all need uh, help. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what do you what do you mean by that break that down for oh me. uh i don't know i think uh you know songwriters in particular are I, just probably some of the most consistently neurotic people in the world um where this this kind of stuff this is the pod for us you know to kind of hash it out because uh you, you gotta do it i i think uh you know audience members and listeners see musicians or see them from stage and they're they're seeing them in like extroversion like character mode almost and it's like that's that's like a very temporary state for most performers whereas you know i think most performers are introverts and very weird off stage or at least very introverted you know yeah so i'm assuming you're speaking uh, about yourself in this regard as as are you an introvert yeah, big time. Um, I mean, I don't get energy from crowds, really. You know, you can mm. certainly get a buzz from a crowd when you're like playing in front of a lot of people. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, you know, especially like before and after shows, like I'm not someone who craves like social attention. Like I just mm. find like a lot of pressure around it. Um, like it's, um, yeah, I always feel like I owe people things and or I... <laughs> Or I at least don't I at least don't want to be the guy who like makes the wrong type of eye contact and then someone at the show is like, Oh yeah, he looked at me weird, that guy's an asshole, and then that's their opinion of you. Cause that can certainly happen. So uh but you don't want to think about that stuff too much either. <laughs> I think I I mean I, I've never been on stage, uh not an actor, not a musician, not a comedian, but I get the eye contact thing. It's like a it's an introvert thing, but it's also like just a sensitivity, not wanting to like put our stuff on others, not wanting to like presume anything, just sort of like being this, I don't know, safe, uh, neutral, amorphous force that hides in the corner. Yeah, for sure. Um, eye contact is a tough thing. And it is it is really magical, though, when you're like talking to somebody and they're just like looking at you in the eye the whole time, like in a non-psychotic way. Um <laughs> 
occasionally you can you you talk to someone who has like a lot of charisma but you can mm. just see like their eyes are kind of glossed over when you start talking and there's like nobody <laughs> home in there you know what i yeah. mean but yeah. for the most part like when someone is like making good eye contact i'm like wow what a that, that that's cool like i'm i'm feeling it you know well you feel seen and you know i i think it it goes back to this human need we all have to feel seen and heard and empathize with and respected and all that, right? Yeah. So, we always kick off the show, Brett, with an emotional check-in. How how are you feeling? How was your week? I'm having a great week. Um, I think it's because I was coming off like a big trough, you know? I, um, it seems to go in cycles like that where, you know, you're you're down and anxious for a few days or a week. And then with that, you know, that's always temporary, just like everything. So, you know, there's a there's you know there's a better week ahead. So I feel I'm having a good time. It's nice to have fun in life because I've spent lots of time in life not having fun and just uh, you know, freaking out and having my brain attack me kind of thing. What about you? Yeah, um, definitely a, a tough week on the sort of exhaustion front. I have not been sleeping well, and last night our power went out. And so my, my wife and I, we sleep with like a noise machine, you know, white noise machine and it went off. So our power went off, that went off. And then for the next like two hours, I uh, laid in bed listening to this sort of far away dog barking just nonstop. And then of course my anxiety brain was like, what is going on with this dog? I'm angry at this dog. That's, that's the first feeling. And then second feeling was like, (laughs) Why is the dog outside? Why what are the what are these people doing to this dog? And then I sort of got in my head about the dog being abused and it was just this whole spiral oh, of man. anxiety yeah. and feelings and eventually I fell asleep, but I'm just tired. Man, people's uh, it, it's kind of funny how like just just how I feel like um, and I could be wrong on this, but I feel like America has more mental health problems than anywhere else in the world. And with mm. that, I feel like the dogs in America also have more mental health problems than anywhere in the world. <laughs> you know, like it's not like if you go to Europe or Mexico or you don't you don't see people's dogs just like freaking out at every other dog or like going nuts or, you know, crapping on the sidewalk. It's like the you, the dogs are off leash. They're just walking around. They're they're well behaved. They're uh, they're calm. They're they they're 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 feeling zen so yeah it's just a weird observation but um, yeah yeah i well i think it's because i mean i think about this a lot as a dog person as an animal person we put a lot on our dogs we project a lot we sort of and and they they are mirrors for us so they sort of taking on our own sort of insecurities and our uh whatever it may be they're empathetic soft mirrors for us humans so it, Big time. it behooves that. us to do our own work so we're not sort of torturing our dogs. <laughs> yeah. I, you, you know, you got to feel for the dogs because they are kind of like the vent. They're like the free therapy. Um, and, mm. and granted, most dogs, I, th- I feel like, have pretty sweet lives. You know, you get to go for walks. You get to lounge on couches, eat free food, do a lot of leisure. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, uh, most most people have have some have some wobbles going on, and those wobbles are wobbling directly onto the onto the pup. So yeah, sure. So tell me about your wobbles, Brett. What when did you sort of first? I guess discern, you talk about your anxiety a lot. When did you first sort of discern or learn that you like? Oh, I have anxiety. This is in me. 
Well, you know, I always like felt like pretty weird as a kid. Like, you know, I would have a lot of great days and I wasn't like, I wasn't like down all the time by any means, but uh, I would always get these like this tunnel vision of like, oh no, this, this teacher at school hates me or I said something that mm. could have been misinterpreted to this kid or this girl that I like and she'll never talk to me again. And then I would just like have obsessive thoughts, like circular thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, and that's always gone on. And then, you know, as you kind of get older and uh, explore these types of things, and especially in the last couple of years, it's like uh, mental health's come to the forefront and like mainstream talk. So I, yeah, I eventually just got diagnosed by a doctor because um, I was having like massive, like massively brutal acid reflux problems to the point mm. where I couldn't sing anymore. And I was just panicked about my voice and my heartburn so bad that he he was like the first doctor out of like eight that put me on a anti-anxiety medicine. And then it cured my acid reflux immediately. So I knew it wasn't it wasn't that it was anxiety triggering it. And um, yeah. that was kind of a big that was kind of a big moment. And, you know, I think I think medicine's really good, especially through those troughs, like through those big the big lurch. Yeah, I would say it's like when you're just like doing all the things in your power to feel better, exercise, hanging out with friends, um, just just working hard at eating healthy and you still feel like shit every day, then it's like time to maybe consider like a low dose of some sort of anti-anxiety medicine. That's good. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I definitely don't want to be on it like all the time, but um, I, I'm a big proponent for it in, uh, in stretches, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that so I have major depressive disorder. I have to be on an antidepressant. Otherwise, I would every day would be like a suicidal sort of roller coaster. Sure. <laughs> um, and it's such a like, I just wanted to honor you in that like, it is a big step to like say, hey, I am struggling. I am going to do the work of like going through eight doctors to figure out what's going on in my body. And yeah, because it it's like anxiety or depression or these things that we all experience it's it's a weird feeling it's a hard feeling it's a weird feeling and i i think it it takes courage to say i deserve to get this checked out yeah i mean what a great time in history that these medicines exist because like 30 years ago they didn't and then they, and then people would just see us as like sad people and we just <laughs> wouldn't achieve our full potential or whatever. So yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um and when you say major depressive disorder that's just like um it's just chronic like lulls hard to climb out of kind of thing. Yeah, it's a chronic uh depression. Um it's just like a you know, when, when someone says like, I'm depressed, you know, that's not, I, I have clinical depression. So, mm -hmm. and, and major depressive disorder is sort of like a, a level up, you know, it's like depression okay. on steroids, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, when did you, when did you kind of begin to tackle that and figure out like the, the medicine was going to help you a lot? Uh, first of all, how dare you? This is my podcast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, well, it was honestly, you know, I've had depression my whole life uh, and uh, for the longest time I repressed it and just kind of did my thing and destructed in many ways. And then I think it was about four years ago when I when I found the sort of antidepressant that sort of worked for me. 
Mm. Um, cause I, I went through a series of cycles of just like trying different ones and they didn't work. And eventually I took this, uh, this amazing test called gene Sight. It's a company that does like a genetic test and it sort of tests your blood for the types of meds that work based on your genetic code, oh, I guess. Nice. And apparently my body is like rejects most medications and but this one antidepressant which is called vibrid uh sort of works for me so oh, cool wow yeah. man what a crazy technology i mean imagine where that's going to be even in 10 years where you'll just like you'll get a body scan and like immediately know if anything's wrong with you in like a, a minute you know totally well and you know the the anxiety and the the exhaustion of just like trying to figure out what's wrong and having to go to different doctors and having to try different meds and like the the sort of side effects of those meds and that whole journey is fucking exhausting brutal yeah yeah and like i'm a hypochondriac to begin with i don't know if you are so i create (laughs) physical ailments with my brain so my brain will like make something up in my head and i'll legitimately like get a rash on my ass or something like a some something physical you get those happen. ass rashes yeah oh yeah but when i don't <laughs> i got no ass rash when i don't worry about it you know so yeah it's pretty crazy what the the brain can really attack you well and it's it's you know the ass rash while hilarious uh it's also a reminder that like our bodies hold a lot right like our bodies yeah. are holding stuff uh, that we're not even aware of, right? Like past traumas, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now that I'm thinking about it, you know, what about what about the contrary to this new technology? What if you can step into a scanner machine and within one minute get a diagnosis if anything's wrong with you? Think about how many times per year we would be stepping into those machines. And then if we weren't at perfection, we would just be spending all this crazy money on, on weird medicine to try to become ultra cyborgs. <laughs> well, this is just a became a Tom Cruise sci-fi vehicle. Um you know, a la uh, Minority Report or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you get you get medicated. What? So tell me about like your experience as a child, because I I know for me, like uh, you know, as a sensitive person, you feel like a sensitive guy. Like I sort of took on a lot. I sort of burdened myself with a lot the feelings of others all the time. I repressed a lot. I was in an environment that was not safe. Uh, in my family very often like what was your childhood like how would you describe it yeah i mean i think i'm pretty lucky i had a pretty sweet childhood for the most part as far as family life and parents like um my parents are real sweet real supportive super friendly people um you know i don't know i i don't know if uh they hmm I mean, my pops is not like a ultra sensitive fella, even though he's a legend like I am, or um, sorry, even though he is a legend, I am not a legend. I am working to become my pops who is a legend. Um, How is he a legend? Just kind of one of these eternally optimistic guys who never gets down. And he's not like faking it either. He's just like, for whatever reason, he got all the good brain chemicals or whatever. So he like, (laughs) he just doesn't know how to relate to someone with anxiety or depression or whatever and i think that that made it hard to connect um like on a deeper level like through Mm. the years you know we've 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 shared like a common love for basketball and rock and roll so we've always had a good time together um and my mom is much more neurotic like i am and um 
But yeah, as far as family life, that was sweet. I did have a hell of a time uh, getting through like middle school and high school. That was, I think, the, the formative experience of just like emotional trauma and beat downs and just bullying and just like a really conservative, um, uh, like non-feely high school, you know, just mm-hmm. like a, you know, whatever, a standard American pie, <laughs> Hollywood <laughs> shitty high school experience. Um, yeah. This was in Wisconsin? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm sure a lot of people had it a lot worse than I did. But, uh, you know, I remember like, uh, I'm trying to think just like, just, we, you know, like people would draw like huge penises on my locker and say Newski loves cock or whatever. And that was just that was that was fun, I guess. But uh, <laughs> like getting smashed into lockers and like and like punched in the kidneys where you like legitimately worried for your like physical safety, like each day at school that sucked. Um, and then I remember like one day, like in middle school, the kid sitting next to me on the bus was like, hey, man, your best friend says you're a queer. And then uh, I was like, there's no way my best friend would say that. And then uh, and then sure enough, my best friend had like turned on me because he was like being absorbed into this new cool kid click. And then I wasn't. And I'm, he didn't really have a choice. I think they were probably going to uh, emotionally beat him down or physically whoop on him if he didn't uh if he didn't turn on me but just like stuff like that that, that was that really messed me up um mm, but you know tough. all this stuff most of this stuff is like i get a lot of comedic joy out of it at this point in my life because i can talk about it in jest but yeah you're yep. right it, it probably is like held in somewhere where it's uh not not doing me any favors well i mean it's I, I I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I, I experienced a bit of that in high school and like I did not like high school. I didn't even like college. Like it, I always felt like a little bit of a loan and a little bit sort of an outsider. Um, and, and sort of hearing you talk about like the, the lockers and the dicks and the sort of the, the queer name calling, like, God, I, I hope as a society, as a culture, we're progressing because I, yeah, I mean, we're, I don't know how how old you are, I'm guessing in your 30s. I'm 34, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So I'm 40. We grew up relatively around the same time. There was just a lot of that toxicity. I I, I just hope culturally we're we're progressing. Yeah. Although, you know, and that stuff is all messed up and and whack. Although I do kind of wonder, it's like, if my parents pulled me out of school and put me in like some private school, I don't know if that would have been the move either. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. then it was like, it would have been, maybe it would have been a little bit of a cop out and I wouldn't have had all these like hard knocks and like good lessons that I feel like are actually serving me at this point in life. Um, but yeah, who knows? You know, it's like, you don't well, want to nerf the, your yeah. kids either. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's that's what you had and what you experienced. And there's a lot of, obviously opportunity for reflection and hindsight right and and yeah. understanding that like oh yeah those experiences like i can talk about them now and just as you said and and sort of uh, sort of gain some wisdom nuggets and stuff like that and that's yeah. helpful and also you know fuck those kids who called you queer and and drew dicks on your locker like i i hate that i hate that because that's such a like to yeah, me yeah but their dad was probably kicking their own ass maybe you know? so maybe Right. So I I do have empathy. And also, I feel like there is a lot of that toxicity in masculinity and sort of 
bro culture and and wellness culture. There's a lot of that toxicity today that still thrives and is still rewarded. And I I do my best on the show to try to rail against it. And <laughs> it's, it's still it still sort of reigns supreme, I guess, in my yeah, head. Yeah, it is a weird thing because like I'm I feel lucky at this point in life, especially in like a in my friend circles and even in a career sense, like I'm I'm around like people that are pretty open minded, that like music, that like to explore new kinds of indie music. I, I get to hang out with all kinds of cool weirdos and hippies that come to our shows. So I'm like I'm like a bit removed from those like macho circles. Um, yeah. which is quite a luxury because then you like once in a while we'll we'll have a weird tour date and like I don't know, Scottsdale, Arizona, and like the crowd is just like jacked guys with like tans, like chasing sunburnt uh, <laughs> ladies, like with like yeah, barboy yeah. tattoos, and they're and they're all gelled up and on the town and on the prowl, and it's very primal, and it's like the they're, they're like the worst audiences ever to play for, and I was like, oh, I forgot this was like still a thing, um, yeah. But you know, it's all good. I just uh, I think things are going in the right direction, and and people are getting nicer for the most part i think i don't think people want to be assholes i think they do they do it because they feel irrelevant and you know they've they need something to stand for but uh you know at the end of the day it's like such a waste of energy i think any any mean person who's mean when they take a break from being mean for a moment they realize how much energy they have to spend on other stuff and they're like all right I hope that's the case, Brett. I think that's uh, tremendously. I mean, you're sort of channeling your pops uh, in that optimism. I love that, I, and I, I I like that perspective. And I think you're right. I think there is a lot of meanness or unkindness or perceived unkindness that happens because of fear, because of insecurity, as you said, because of anxiety, even because of yeah, feeling irrelevant, feeling maybe alone, feeling unseen. Um, yeah yeah, yeah. being know. mean i mean like i get it like it's hard to be a person and whatever and people everybody everybody uh feels jealousy and and anguish and uh resentment toward other people and that's that's it's that doesn't feel good but to like outwardly be mean to other people that, that that's just like inexcusable and i think of like moments in my life especially as like a younger more immature person where i wasn't nice or i was mean to somebody it's just like that I, that makes me feel so horrible and about myself, you know. So, oh, um, for sure. I yeah. so I've talked pretty openly about some of the stuff I did as like a just a fucked up teenager, you know. And I I I look back on that time, and I do have to like remind myself when I'm thinking about like and railing against sort of toxic culture and and meanness and just dudes being idiots. I do have to reflect on my experiences as a teenager because I I did some of that shit. Like I did stupid shit that was vandalism or destructive or whatever. Just like mm -hmm. just a kid being a dipshit. And I, I do have to sort of reflect. And that helps me sort of, I guess, bring more compassion into the into the noggin when I'm thinking about those dudes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember one one case where I was a real piece of shit. I think I was in like fourth grade or third grade and i like told this girl she smelled bad and mm. uh i was just like unprovoked just being an asshole 
and uh my parents like heard that i did that and like this girl i guess lived down the street and they marched me over to her house and made me go inside and apologize and it was like the most horrifying thing that's ever happened to me but it was like such a like a badass move on their part and i was like bawling and uh but it was it was like a real real good holy shit moment you know yeah you'll never forget that moment yeah good stuff yeah good good parenting there i think (laughs) so when when so as a when when did you get into making music did that start pretty young for you yeah i mean i uh i got a job at mcdonald's and i was a little guy so i could buy a guitar and then um the a real turning point was uh, my birthday is two days after Christmas, so my parent these uh, four track digital recorders had just kind of come out out mm-hmm. of the market, and they got me like this sweet combined birthday Christmas present where it was like this digital multi track recorder, and that really nice. changed the game because like from age fourteen on, I was just like in my parents' basement just making you know little recordings and i remember like putting down chords and then being able to layer like another guitar part over it and then listening back to it and it just blew my mind to shit and um so yeah that was a real whirlwind of just like creative juice um that little device really helped me a lot and i still i just found a bunch of all those old recordings uh not too long ago from when i was like a teenager and i was actually quite surprised i mean some of them were shit but like i was surprised at some of the stuff i came up with when i was a little person that's cool was was there a lot of music in the house like did your parents listen to a lot of music um my pops is a big rock and roll fan so he loves he's not a musician nobody in my family is like musical at all but uh he worked for like a classic rock radio station selling like radio commercials for 38 years yeah he just retired so um it was always like in the ethos of like, I think the living room, you know, he'd pour a rum and Coke and play air guitar to like uh, Machine Head by Bush. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, that, like, great song. Loud volumes. And uh, so we got into like CDs together and got into like Gin Blossoms and Beck and all these like uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket, all these records from the like the early 90s, Better Than Ezra. And that was real formative because those were like fun power pop songs that were like four chords simple melodies i could play them on the guitar um and it was like a good place to start whereas like if i was trying to learn iron maiden solos like off the bat it probably wouldn't have been as rewarding (laughs) i love that i i i think about um sort of my experience with music growing up and i i you know my parents did a lot of shitty things and uh but they did a couple of things right and and one of the things that did did right was the the music influence so like my mother was like moody blues and Joni mitchell and yeah. you know uh stuff like that and then my dad was you know the beatles and david bowie and like nice. stuff like that so i got a i got a good mix of influence there yeah, it's important to have it's important to have good records around, you know. Yeah. I think especially as a young aspiring musician cuz I like there's there's a few kids I've met some younger kids and they're, you know, they've come out to shows and like I I always love talking to younger kids about um you know, what what kind of records they have and what their influences are and like some kids have Beatles records and then other kids just have like like three doors down records and i'm like well nothing against three doors down but it's like it's gonna be hard to 
I don't know, you need to have like nuanced records in your catalog, especially in your formative years to like kind of shape your songwriting and how you think about music and how you write. Whereas like, if you just have like 10 butt rock records, it's going to be limiting. So I, I try to like send playlists to some of these kids I meet of, uh, well, and it's fun. not like, it's not like I'm some like, hyper literate uh discography musicologist i'm i'm not but uh if, if um oh here's one i remember we played a show in vietnam a couple years ago and oh, wow. um, i had like an hour to kill before the gig and i was like just walking around this random neighborhood in, in vietnam and there's all the little Tuk Tuk's driving by and it's chaos and you're like all you smell is gasoline and uh there's ladies like s- s- selling chickens on the sidewalk and <laughs> i stopped for a beer and this kid he was probably 14 he came up he like gave me the beer it was like 50 cents and uh he was like trying to speak some english and knew a little bit of english and he was like he's like oh you're in a band rock and roll he's like i love rock and roll um and uh, so I, I asked him if he'd heard of the Beatles. And he said, uh, "What's what's that? I've never never heard of the Beatles." And uh, so I wrote wow, down. Wow, like, you blew this kid's mind. Yeah, I wrote down all these all these like weird indie records for him, and like made him a list, and showed him some songs on my headphones. And he was like, "I mean, he he like shit himself. He couldn't believe it. He was like, holy shit! Like, thank you so much.' So who knows? Maybe that kid is ripping guitar now." Um, he had just been listening to Three Doors Down only, and then, then you blew his mind. If that, I mean, you know, if if that, if yeah. Kryptonite even got there, probably not. So, um, yeah, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a young person, uh, call in and I'll, I'll send you some records. There you go. There you go. So, like, one of the things I love about, I mean, this is such a, like, a, I don't know, cliche sort of idea but like music is feely to me like music like i i certainly as a kid when i was sort of feeling down or when i was feeling feelings that i couldn't discern couldn't name songs and listening to music listening to things like i mean as a as a teenager as a 13 14 year old i listened to a lot of punk rock you know early bad religion and no effects and stuff like that and that stuff like helped me process even if I couldn't name the feelings, it helped me process shit, right? So yeah. I, I feel like music is is powerful in that way. Can you talk a little bit about like some of those early experiences with music and feelings and all that? Yeah, I mean, music is really one of the greatest therapies out there, and it's basically free therapy. So, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, finding those songs that hit you and, and saving them and, uh and spending time with with songs, you know, I think it's just so easy to skip songs now, and we have the infinity of music at our fingertips, which I don't I don't think that caters to music as a form of therapy as much. But it's nice if you can just get some decent headphones and take an evening and just really like sit on sit down or stare at the ceiling and listen to records, um, and be really intentional about it, you know, and have that be the only thing you do rather than like texting while listening to music and watching netflix which is uh fun but uh yeah it just doesn't you don't get the the therapy that music brings you when you do that one thing at a time you know i feel that what were some of the you know you mentioned like listening to bush with your dad like what were some of the songs that you sort of latched on to when you first started getting into music yeah i remember hearing when i come around by green day on the radio and i would like wait around for that song 
like just sitting on a lawn next to a boombox waiting for that to come on the radio. And that was all very exciting. I mean, that feeling will never be able to be recreated again, you know, like waiting for something, you know, oh, for in, sure. in any arena. And then I don't know if I've listened to, to the radio in a decade. Well, the radio punishes punishes us hard as listeners because they've they just it's the same songs we've heard the last 50 years and it's the same 80 songs just like them shoving it down our throats and i don't know if that's ever going to change but uh yeah what yeah. green day when i come around just like hearing really raw crunchy guitar music that wasn't very polished but was also very minimal and uh you know i didn't even know what a bass guitar was at that time but i could hear i could hear those three instruments very clearly all as individual like uh instruments you know i could hear the bass clearly i could hear the electric guitar and i could hear the drums and i could hear each each tom as they were hit so that was a that was a formative song and i couldn't believe green day wasn't british when i when i looked at the liner notes (laughs) (laughs) you know that is that the is that on the dookie album that song dookie yeah that was the the second album i ever got great album I mean, that came out in, what, 94? Uh, 94, like, I was just reflecting on this recently with my wife and mm-hmm. just looking at the releases in 94. 94 was a, an amazing year for me. Throwing Copper, uh, 16 Stone. Yep, that yeah. one. What else? Uh, Stranger Than Fiction by Bad Religion. Oh. No Effects put Punk and Drublick out that year. Yeah. Uh, I think Nas put It Was Written out that year, which is a great rap album. Ah, New um, Miserable Experience, maybe? Or no, that was later. Um, I'm not sure. But yeah, just a just a great year. And I was, in 94, I was, you know, 13. So, you know, at that time, I was listening to all the, like, let's skateboard and, you know, bash yeah. our heads and, like, let's get the fuck away from home, you know, type of music. So, could you go to shows in the 90s? Like, could you go to the clubs? Uh, so, I never... Like, I did go to shows. So, the first, like, big shows I started going to, speaking of punk rock, was Van's Warp Tour. Oh, yeah. So, Warp Tour started in, like, 91 or 92. And I think I went in, like, 95, 96 the nice. first time. And then I went, like, six or seven times, you know, back to back to back. Um and it was always amazing and always disgusting because it was like 110 degrees out <laughs> and you're in Anaheim, California and you're on asphalt and you're like in mosh pits with strangers and they're punching you in the face <laughs> and you're just like the elated. Apocalypse. You're yeah. elated to get punched in the face by a punk rock you know, oh, guy man. who's been doing it for 40 years. <laughs> unbelievable yeah what is that yeah. like the the desire to be punched in the face at a mosh pit because it's like a tale as old as time it really is i i think well you know it, it's it's you know maybe it's like in our bones like maybe it's this sort of evolutionary sort of thing we're experiencing this beat together we're mm. we're you know it's like we're dancing around the fire right it's like we're just yeah. in it together and it's never you know whatever and I'm sure you've been in a mosh pit before. Like whenever like someone gets in there who's like, I'm out for revenge. I'm I want to hurt people like those people get their ass kicked and they get out. They get ousted. <laughs> right. So you're there to like fuck shit up. But like in the most sort of sweet, compassionate way. 
Yeah, I would worry about like the riot mentality of like a like a punk rock crowd turning on a man like in the middle of a mosh pit because like you yeah. can't stop the inertia of rage. Actually, no, I've seen on it. that note, I was talking to my buddy Scotty and we were talking about bar fight culture. Mm. And he was like, I'm pretty sure people just go to bars to fight just because they want to connect and just need a hug so badly. Oh, and uh, that's probably true. It has to be true. Um they just why, don't why know how to express themselves. And 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 I think so much of that primal nature has just been like totally deleted from our civilized world. And, uh, you know, it's why like I'm a very composed person. And then I go pick up, play uh, recreational basketball at the gym. And like I like will fight people. You become <laughs> like, a monster. I, yeah. I become <laughs> a monster, which it's only happened once or twice. But it's like I got to take a break from recreational basketball it's making me a piece of shit yeah it's funny i i think that's a, like an interesting insight and it, it may be this evolutionary thing because I, I i played soccer for like 30 years uh you know into college i played in college played after college and there were definitely moments especially after college as a grown-ass adult where i i uh yeah i would just like lose my temper and like just knock someone on their ass and I always felt good slash deep shame. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there is something, there's something okay about that if it's not a cheap shot. Like if you're competing and you're playing hard and you're like going at it hard, I think that's yeah. rad. Like, I think that's really cool. I always love like, you know, in like spa- like basketball, like, you know, it's easy to love like the scrapper, like the player who can't really shoot, who's not really an offensive player, who's not a flashy player, but who's like the hustle player. Like they're always sure. like the most beloved player on the team. Like totally. we had this guy in high school. We had a really great high school basketball team. We had one of the best players in the state. We had like two big six five beasts and we had like four four scores. And then we had one guy, um, this guy Cleewin, who like couldn't really shoot, didn't really score, but he was like our enforcer. And he would like talk shit to the other team's best player and like and like play lockdown defense on the other team's best shooter and like dive on the floor for loose balls and like, you know, get a bloody forehead every other game. But like he was like a fan <laughs> favorite because he just like he just held it down on the on the defensive end, you know, but I don't remember any cheap shots ever, you know, that's good. That's good. I I, I wonder if it's like and I I. I think that like I'm as I'm saying this and I'll say it in a second, I, I, I also reflect on that like this is an excuse that has been used to like perpetuate violence and perpetuate toxic culture and masculinity and stuff. So the comment is like, I wonder if like some of this stuff is, you know, like going back to like Roman times where we watch gladiator, you know, like totally. fight things. And it's like just I don't know, like maybe it's innately within us. Maybe we need to fight against this. Maybe we need to resist it more and maybe use it for good. I don't know. Like, I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, there's there's something to that because it's like, you know, at the gym, uh, if if there's like a real battle on the court and like you get into a scuffle with somebody and like you get into a guy's face and talk shit, almost every time the person respects you more and you respect them more after, you know, it's like, Mm. I thought we wanted to kill each other. But the next time I see the guy at the gym, it's like, it's like hugs and like, and like bro hugs and like respect. And then we get on the same team and, and, and run the court or whatever. So that can be a pretty cool thing if it's done. And, um, if it's done like in, uh, uh, 
respect and not like out of malice or anything. Yeah, yeah. That, so, that itch uh, needs to be scratched, the primal itch, but yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Like, I, I still am, like, deeply skeptical, but because I, I, I'm not a very competitive person. Um, I always felt uncomfortable kind of in sort of team sport kind of situation because it always felt a little bit too toxic and violent and let's crush it and kill it kind of thing <laughs> that I just like I, I despise. And so I get it. I'm I guess I'm still navigating that emotionally. And what about like you growing know. your own food or so you do anything like that? Like that's got that's a primal thing. Interesting. I do. Like we have peaches and tomatoes and herbs and stuff. Um, like that, I feel like that could scratch that itch in the same way. Interesting. Almost, you know? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I do love I do love the earth. The earth is wonderful. Um so maybe that is my yeah, primal scratching. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um so as a rocker, musician, songwriter, uh when did uh like when was your first like big I guess break or like sort of moment in your like turning point in your music career? Yeah. I mean, I think music now it's like you just, you try to accumulate a lot of tiny victories and that could, Mm. that could be anything from like having a cool opening show for somebody or, you know, having a good night at the merch table or, you know, getting booked at a cool regional festival down the road. Whereas like, I think the music industry before you would either kind of get on the rocket ship and hit it big or you wouldn't, you know, you'd become Mm, interesting, get signed and your record would break on the radio or you wouldn't. So, I mean, oh man, there's just hundreds and thousands of, of tiny little wins along the way. I mean, one cool thing, you know, I think into my, uh, maybe third or fourth year, um, the Violent Femmes brought me out on some shows. They're also from Milwaukee. So they helped me kind of a bit. And uh, I think we, you know, they took me out on three little mini tours um, throughout throughout the years. And that that was really cool. That was kind of a, a big boost to morale. You know, you need kind of those, you need acknowledgement, I think, from your like musical elders once in a while to, to give you like a, a nod that you're doing it right and that kind of thing. And um it's kind of cool, man. It's like I've at this point I've got to play with a lot of my musical heroes and 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 have almost all of them on the podcast. So it's uh, and it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel strange, or I don't even feel like a fanboy anymore at this point. They just feel like kind of my peers, and that's not me mm. being like puffy chested or um, whatever. It's just like I've been doing it so long. I just I just feel really comfortable. Like uh, um, got a guy from the bare naked ladies came out to my show in toronto a couple years ago and they were like my first band as a kid um so the violent femmes actually they introduced me to uh to the bare naked ladies guys because they're because they're friends so kevin hearn from bnl came out to my show in toronto and it was like you know it was like one of those nights where it was like there was a heckler and the crowd was a little bit disjointed but for whatever reason like I, i like i was just on that night and i got the i got the the room to turn on the heckler and they like started booing the heckler and it was just really fun and it was like this awesome show and then people came up after the show they're like holy shit you you know the guy from bare naked ladies did you know he was at the show and like (laughs) he's like he's like he's like a ultra legend in toronto obviously so yeah that was a really neat uh evening and ended up like getting coffee with them the next day and stuff so 
Um, so cool. Yeah, like I, things like that really keep you going. I love I love this idea of the like the little victories. Like I think like if I'm thinking about like living as a human person and this sort of culture that we live in that like really honors and rewards like big romantic gestures. Like you mentioned like how music used to be and you have to like either make it or you're not a yeah. person, right? You're not a musician or whatever. But like we just like we honor and reward like just like big sort of grand gestures and like big things and like crushing it and winning it and all that stuff. And I, I do think it's problematic. I do think it's not sort of aligned with like how we live our lives, which is like we we have like because we I think in that we're bypassing a lot of the human experience. We're like ignoring a lot of the nuance and a lot of the like curiosity mm-hmm. that's in those like little victories along the way. And it it, it, yeah. it it sort of that perspective honors the sort of fallibility and messiness and non-linear sort of aspect of humanity. Totally. Yeah. And like, on that note, I feel like, uh, you know, a, a tiny victory could be something as as small as like getting two lawn chairs and grilling a burger on your sidewalk <laughs> with a buddy and just like having nowhere to be for five hours. Like that stuff really boosts mental health and like kind of it reminds you of like why you work to like enjoy the fruits of your labor or whatever, whatever mm. they say. So I, love I can't that. stress enough how uh, as a workaholic, how amazing it has been the past couple of years to finally like just like realize how bad of a workaholic I was and like just like realize the point of diminishing returns and it's like it doesn't help you like you can only work so much efficiently before you're just like randomly checking your email on your phone like an extra 20 times a day you know well when we associate work as this intrinsic value it becomes, yeah, it becomes the thing that we can never get enough of, right? Big time. Like when you, like I used to do this big time. I would like, I would like, uh, yeah, associate my self-worth as uh, uh, totally congruent with like work and how well I was doing in music or whatever. And like if I was having a good month, I would be up. And then if I was like having doors slamming in my face, I would just be depressed. And it, it was yeah. like, you know, I don't, who, who gives a shit to even be playing music as a living is is kind of a joke anyway. So I got to really enjoy it before, uh, uh, you know, before Bezos drops his rocket falls on the earth and it, uh, we're oblivious. Oh God. Yes. That is probably going to happen. Um, Jeff call in. Yeah. Call in, uh, 1-800-EMPATHY. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I just wanted to nerd out real quick. Cause I saw that you, uh, have played with, the new pornographers yeah i'm a huge fan of them i i i think i saw them once live and just all of those folks are just incredible like together they're magical and then like separately they're just magical they have their own acts and it's incredible there's something about canadians that they're just extra triple friendly you know that that gig was really special because it was really a gift you know it's very rare you just get an email out of the blue from a promoter or a or an agent that's just like, hey, you want to open the show? You're like, usually you're like hustling, you're like trying to hit up the band, hit up their agent, having your people hit up their people. It's a it's a nightmare. But for this gr- this cool promoter in Chicago, Jake Samuels, just hit us up. And he's like, you want to open the show? It'd be a great fit. So went down there, and uh, yeah, there's like s- 
700 people there. It was a great show. I think it was one of our highest selling merch nights of all time. Um, wow. Because their crowd's awesome. It's like also like a geeky power pop rock band, which is like totally yeah. our wheelhouse. So, and I went out with the the band after. They were really nice. Um, you know, we went out and sang Dr. Dre at karaoke. It was like they're, <laughs> uh, they really went out of their way to hang. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a real special night. That's amazing. I, I love to hear that. You know, you you hope that your heroes are sweeties and sometimes they aren't and some, sometimes they are. When they are, it's like, ah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, the weirdness of the road, it's so up and down. Like, you can catch someone on a weird night and you can, uh, you know, I toured with one of my heroes uh, uh, a couple years ago and like you could, like he, w- he was nice. I could just tell he was burnt out by the road and just was not up to hang and I, I didn't hold it against him because I've been there um, and I've been the guy who just wants to go like hide in the van after uh, after gigs and I'm, I'm racking my brain to think of like a band I've met that hasn't been friendly and I, I can't I can't think of one. So that's that's cool. That's amazing. Yeah, that's good to hear. So you're you're in a tour right now, right? You're you're starting up like a big tour, like starting later this month or in September. Yeah, we'll be. Well, I put out this book called "It's Hard to Be a Person: uh, Defeating Anxiety, Surviving the World, and Having More Fun." And it's just a, it's basically a bunch of illustrations making fun of my own anxieties and that kind of thing. So we're we're touring on that book and the soundtrack that goes along with the book this fall, and we're going kind of all over the Midwest and mexico city and and some other spots so hopefully the shows are don't get canceled by the covidius uh but uh, yeah we'll be out there schlepping the miles in the unmarked white van <laughs> with candy uh handing out candy to children i make i make sure i keep no candy in the car i don't want uh, people to know i have candy in there i don't good. want people to get the That's wrong idea smart smart yeah smart. it's a no candy van good 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 so how has the reception been with your book and the music and those sort of two things together? Because, like, obviously, the book, you know, you you get you get sort of personal, you get vulnerable about your anxieties and bringing that on stage as a musician. How has the reception been for that? I've been pretty overwhelmed by the reception. Um, I mean, the book is. I mean, we've sold we sold out of the books within five weeks and uh, it's like i guess Congrats. the book is like thanks man thanks known it's like less niche than music you know uh you know we play like indie alternative music that's lyrically driven and i you know the book just i guess i think it probably just speaks to more people so mm. um or on a, on a broader like you can like uh you can like seether you can like tori amos or you can like three doors down or you can like miles davis or whatever you may, and you can probably relate to the book on some level so um yeah man that's all been very exciting and it's it's free therapy for me too because i get to talk to to sweet fellas like you and 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 vent out loud and <laughs> you know this is something i've only been doing the last couple of years is just kind of like basically saying everything out loud and uh, it feels amazing and uh i feel i feel great doing it and i think everyone should uh should uh clear their uh skeletons from the closet if possible and i don't mean like going on podcasts and like telling a, a thousand people or whatever but uh you know even if just hanging out with a buddy and being like hey this this fucked up thing happened i did this terrible thing or whatever uh it feels amazing after you actually get the words out of your mouth you know Agreed. Uh, 100%. It's, it's so, and I, I'd love to hear you speak to this, you know, maybe you have some stories, but it's so, um, it's so rewarding. You know, you don't do it to like, 
invoke sympathy or evoke sympathy it's it's really about connection right it's about like um being with a person sharing your story being vulnerable and allowing them to see you where you are right and and maybe have them sort of have a moment where they can reflect on their own experiences and maybe they relate and then there's this beautiful connection there i think it's it's truly like the human experience yeah big time man and uh you know, you're doing a great thing here. I think this is a, a really special platform and you're you're such an easy person to talk to. You're you're a sweet dude. No, oh, thanks, Brett. Right back sure. at you, sweetie. Sure. <laughs> it's an honor. Um so your book is called uh Why It's Hard to Be a Person. Or it's, it's, it's just hard called, to be a person. It's hard to be a person. Yeah. It's hard to be a person. Uh love that title. It is hard to be a person. I'm wondering for you because i i'm feeling that a lot right now uh it's sort of it hard to be a person uh sort of feelings uh, and by that i mean i am sensitive i'm feely i i have a tendency towards sort of like taking on you know what's going on in afghanistan and haiti and and people are dying of covid and all this yeah. stuff and i i sort of in i'm like taking it on emotionally right and of course i have to like have boundaries with that otherwise i'll just self-destruct but like i'm feel it's hard to be a person right now i'm wondering if you can relate to that yeah i, I hear you um you know my my uh, ex-girlfriend who's one of my uh closest humans of my whole life ever i mean she 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 was like that hyper hyper um what is it called? Like kind of empathic where you just absorb all the energy. Yeah, highly sensitive you. or yeah. Yeah. And that's a that's a heavy thing. I mean, it's um it's profound on one end. You get to feel these like incredible feelings, but then yeah, you absorb some of those 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 more negative feelings and the pain and the sadness from from people around you. And um, you know, I can relate to that on some on some level. Um I'm kind of, I, I gotta be honest, like I kind of cop out in some way and I don't, I don't watch a lot of news and I don't, I try not to pay attention to, to that, too much of that stuff. And I don't know, maybe that's a cop out, maybe not, uh, maybe it's smart. I don't know. But, uh, I, I just feel like I can only affect like my little small circles of, um, you know, influence and, and people I'm close to and people who pay attention to the, the band and the, and the journey or whatever. And hopefully I can make a positive inertia there because I've definitely been in the, in the wallows of like, shit, we gotta, we gotta fucking save the world now or it is, it's going to be over by next week. And then yeah. once you start thinking like that, I mean, it's just, you got no chance and you're just going to, you're only going to feel down, you know? Well, it goes back to the the grand gestures we all reward and where actually the the nuance and the beauty and the true sort of impact is in these small moments, right? And and you're doing wonderful work and being vulnerable on stage and talking, you know, and writing this book. And, and yeah, like, I think that's, I, I believe that that's where true change happens in our sort of communities, as long as there's sort of this forward momentum of compassion and kindness yeah. and love and care and curiosity uh one heart at a time is is what i always say yeah yeah i mean yeah uh, on, on a on a basic level i mean what else can you really do but just really be nice be nice to people you know on uh at the at the ground level yeah for sure um so we'll we'll plug your things in a in a sec, Brett. But I I I like to wrap up the show talking about empathy heroes. Mm -hmm. So people 
in our lives, even characters from stories or uh, movies or whatnot. Um, someone who's just deeply empathetic, caring, compassionate. I'll go first to give you yeah. a sec to think about sweet, yours. Sweet. Uh, my empathy hero this week is uh, uh, Wolf. Uh, she goes by Wolf on Instagram. Her Instagram handles Wolf Genie, uh, G-I-N-I, Wolf Genie on Instagram. And she's been doing just uh, tremendous work in just talking very passionately and openly and vulnerably about her experience with uh, the COVID situation and the vaccine situation and the anti-vaccine situation and the anti-mask situation and and bringing a, a lot of curiosity and critical thinking and empathy to that conversation when, as you know, it, it so many things in this world get so divisive and this versus that. And I think there's so much more to learn and clean when we can break down things on a more sort of curiosity gray sort of space level and 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 wolf is doing tremendous work and so listeners if you aren't following uh her on instagram do she's at wolf genie on instagram give her a follow she's my empathy hero this week cool yeah that was cool yeah. um i let's see i will empathy here i'll give a shout out to my to uh, my uncle uncle marcus um and uncle jeff uh, they were uh Longtime uh, military fellas, the uh, Uncle Marcus was in the Air Force, uh, just retired. He was in there like 40 years and a uh, real sweet dude. Like we have very different political beliefs and all that. But uh, he ran hospitals and like uh, war zones in Vietnam and stuff. And um, just a real calming presence, you know, has a couple beers each night and uh, just just very very big proponent of like um you know helping out other countries and 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 picking up others who are down and that kind of thing and and picking up the less fortunate and uh but uh, the guy just has a good time you know he's he's not down ever and he's just like really a uh, real present person lives in the moment you know there let's you go. go get a fish fry let's grab an old fashioned there's there's not much to worry about right now let's we'll have <laughs> a craft beer on the patio it's all going to be groovy so uh, shout out to uncle marcus and jeffro there you go. Love it. Well, Brett, uh, where can the feely humans out there connect with you, buy your book, uh, you know, learn where you're going to be playing on your tour, all that stuff? Yeah, we're going to be uh, all over the U.S. this uh, this fall. It'd be cool to see see people in real life. Um, I, my, I guess the mothership would just be my website. That's probably the best place, just brettnewski.com. That's the best place to grab the book because Bezos doesn't take 38% or whatever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's not for everyone. But if you if you like depression comedy and you want to have a laugh at your own uh, at your own evil brain, uh, this uh, maybe maybe you dig the book. Um, I'm not like an expert or anything on on mental health. I'm just a just a regular person and uh just wanted to put like the stuff that's made me feel better over the years, like the tactics and stuff I've done to kind of get out of my own head all in all in one place. So, um check it out if you want. There's a soundtrack that goes along to the book uh as well, just like eight new eight new songs. So, that's uh, I think that's all the PSAs I got. Amazing. Well, listeners go to brettnewski.com check it out order his wonderful book check out his music go see him on a show if you're in the midwest that would be sweet um and that link will be in the show notes for this episode at feelyhuman.co brett buddy sweetie pie thank you for being a part of you me empathy 
I appreciate you. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, hope we get to hang out in uh, real life soon. You're a, you're a pro. It was really fun. That'd be awesome. And to you listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Oh